Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about elder. We'll talk about both the berries and the flowers. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Elder is a favorite plant of mine for sure and has really become very popular during um, and since the COVID pandemic, but I think even before then it was really gaining in popularity every year. It's a common shrub that grows, um, there's a species that are native to America and then there are species also native to Europe. And there are different types of species that are used medicinally. It's a relatively, can be a tall shrub, and it has uh, beautiful lacy white flowers in the around, well, for here in Maine, the beginning of July. And then those uh, ripen and turn to beautiful dark purple berries around the beginning of September. There is also a Northwestern variety that grows that I'm not super familiar with, being an East Coast girl, but they tend to have a lighter blue color with like a yeast white coating on the outside of them. But I know that herbalists in the Pacific Northwest utilize those. And then there's the black elderberry that grows uh, native to Europe, although you can buy it in plant nurseries and plant it in your garden. And that is um, looks similar, but the berries are maybe even darker and bigger, and the shrub is a little sturdier and woodier and almost more tree-like. I find that the elder likes to grow at least the Sambucus canadensis, which is the North American variety, likes to grow in somewhat damp and moist areas. It kind of likes it doesn't mind having its feet wet part of the season. And it likes to have um, 
kind of be open. So it wouldn't grow like in the forest, but it might grow in hedgerows or on the edges of fields, like as you approach a forest. I find that where I live, it's very hard to plant unless you protect it from the deer because the deer just completely eat it to bits, which is unfortunate unless it's fully established. And then once it's established, the deer don't really do too much damage to it because it gets tall, taller than the deer. <laughs> um, so elder, it's in the family Adoxaceae. Uh, prior, it was in the family Caprifoliaceae, which is the honeysuckle family, and it actually looks nothing. The flowers are usually what um, delineate plants to different families, and the elder flower looks nothing like the honeysuckle flower. So, um, Adoxaceae, I believe that Adoxa kind of means odd or strange. So, um, it's in that family, the odd and strange family. The word elder, the name elder, is thought to come from an old English word, eldo or ailed, A E L D, which means fire, because the the stems of the elder are pithy on the inside and can be easily hollowed out. And so apparently it was used to, you know, you could use it to blow through to stoke a fire, or possibly it was even used as a pipe to inhale smoke. For the same reason, because you could hollow it out, it was used to make um, like pan pipes or uh, woodwind, a, a type of woodwind instrument that was in Greek uh, was called a sambuki. Sambucus is the genus of elders. The pipe, the pan pipe, was even thought to have older origins than just of the pan pipes of Greece. But if we think of Pan, the deity that is, you know, traveling through the woods and playing on its pipe, it, that was thought to be made of an elder plant. And Interestingly enough, even the Native Americans on this side of the pond um, used hollow sticks as uh, both percussions and a flute as well. There is a very long history of uh, human relations with this plant in Europe. There have been large numbers of seeds that were unearthed at a prehistoric uh, human site dating back 9,000 to even 17,000 years ago. It, this is a plant that is steeped in sacred and magical, mythological folklore and belief. And it has lots and lots of stories around it. And is a plant that has historically been treated with great respect and a little bit of fear. There is you know, so much folklore, and I love talking about the folklore of plants. And I think that this book <clears throat> called Herbal Rituals by Judith Berger is a really fun book. If you haven't come across this book, I highly recommend searching it out. She goes through, she has a chapter for every month of the year, and she interweaves stories and herbs and rituals and really highlights an herb for each month of the year. And she has a great little few paragraphs that talk about the folklore of the elder that I thought would be, and she's just such a 
beautiful writer that I thought it would be nice to read it to you. The elder is considered a magical and holy tree by various cultures of Western and Northern Europe. Truly ancient vestiges of her existence have been found at Stone Age sites. In Denmark, it's said that a dryad called Hildemore, the elder tree mother, dwelled in the branches of the tree and watched over it. If any part of the tree was cut without first beseeching the elder mother, it was believed that she would haunt the family of those who had bypassed her consent until what was taken had been returned. In Copenhagen, the old sailor's section of Denmark, each house had a guardian elder tree, and when one set out on a journey, the tree was entrusted with the health and safety of the traveler. If the tree remained vital, those within the house were certain the journeyer was safe. It was believed the elder could not be struck by lightning, and so was planted nearby one's house. The stems of the elder branches, their pith removed, were worn as magical amulets to protect the wearer from harmful incidences and to bring health and good luck. Elderberries, blossoms, and leaves were hung over the doorways of houses in Russia to drive away spirits, serpents, and robbers, and one old magical chant hailed elder as an herb of prosperity. Elder over the doorway, fortune over the threshold. The bruised leaves were commonly used as an insect and fly repellent. Blossoming at June's end, Elder became woven into the rituals of midsummer festivities, for its flowers filled the air with a pungent scent that causes drowsiness upon inhalation, this subtle narcotic effect giving rise to visions of fairyland. In Denmark, lore described that if one stood under the elder tree on Midsummer's Eve, one would behold the king and queen of fairyland riding by with a retinue of elves, nymphs, dwarfs, and other fair folk mounted on horses and playing pipes made of elder stems. In Irish fairy tales, it is said that the seed, or elf arrows, were fashioned of elder and that the most potent witch's wand was one formed from an elder bough. It was believed that the tree itself must grace the witch with a limb, and one was not permitted to cut a branch for this purpose. Elders considered the tree of transformation, guardian of the 13th month of the Celtic tree calendar. This month, which has three days long, contains both the end of the year, Samhain, otherwise known as Halloween, and the beginning of the new year, All Souls Day. The elder tree is home to the crone who carries many names besides Hildemore, Kalek, Hel, Queen of the Underworld, and Freya, Norse Keeper of the Fire. This ancient goddess of many names who resides within the elder guards the doorway between the land of the living and the spirit realm of the ancestors. Thank you, Judith Berger, Herbal Rituals. A lovely book. I highly recommend checking it out if it's not already a part of your herbal library. So I thought that that was such a really 
beautiful compilation of a lot of the different legends and folklore that are out there. And I want to kind of dive a little deeper into some of those. So this idea of Hildemore, the elder or the earth mother, being in held within the body, or maybe the tree itself is an incarnation of this earth mother, and that to approach it with such deep respect, otherwise bad luck or illness could come to you. And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, if you don't treat it with respect, then there's then the plant would have to be necessarily given back to the plant and um, elder, especially the bark and the leaves and the root um, and the seeds contain a chemical constituent that actually will make you throw up or purge. It's interesting that it's like, okay, well, if you treat it with disrespect and then it will, it will take it back from you by making you throw it back up. Um, in some ways is interesting. Plus, the root, especially of the Canadensis species, um, is very poisonous and has been known to kill people. So let's not use the root, even though, um, you know, you will see old herbals talk about using the root and the bark. But these days, we don't really need to use such potent or even deadly medicines. We have pharmaceuticals for things like that. Uh, both Stephen Buhner and Matthew Wood in their books uh, reference this Eldamore and that it would need to be asked permission for the use of the plant and for it to be able to harvest parts of the plant. In Stephen Buhner's book, Sacred and Herbal Healing Beers, he says this lady called elder mother in many herbal traditions it she is to whom prayers are addressed before the plant itself can be harvested in harvesting the plant her name is invoked and access to the power of the plant and pan himself is requested her reply is why should you be granted access to these things the answer is Elder Mother, in time I will come to you, my body will be returned to the earth, and in that time will I pay for this bounty and help I request. It is at this time that she will allow the sincere person to harvest the elder and the power of Pan to be approached. Once this access is granted, not only the power of the plant itself is awakened, but to those who understand the deep power of old growth forest and of Pan himself can be awakened in the herb. So again, um, really approaching the elder with respect and understanding that when we harvest a part of that plant, it becomes a part of us. And then in some day, our body will also return to the earth and continue this life and death cycle. It's, it's thought that when an elder plants itself in your garden, it is a gift from the mother to protect your home and cattle from lightning and harm. Again, because it is not thought to be able to be struck by lightning. In many places, um, it's no one is allowed to either cut an elder down or even burn elder wood. And I've even heard of, I couldn't find the reference for this, but years ago I heard of a story of someplace in Europe where they actually had to, they rerouted, they were building a new highway and they totally rerouted the highway 
so that they wouldn't cut down an elder grove because there's like this really deep folkloric history of really bad harm and luck coming to you if you were to cut down these trees. And even I have a friend uh, who's Welsh, and he said that even to this day, it's not, you're not allowed to burn elder wood. However, you know, and again, I love this idea of falling asleep under the elder tree and especially when it's in bloom right around midsummer, and this is very similar to the hawthorn, and the scent of the flowers is kind of similar. And I think that this flower scent is so like musky and rich and earthy and a little kind of rotty that it, it can attract fly pollinators or pollinators that um, are attracted to carcasses or dead bodies. And I mean, even black cohosh has that same kind of scent of a flower. It's very intense and so similar to Hawthorne where you can, where it's said that if you fall asleep under the elder bush to be careful because you could be carried into the underworld or brought into the realm of the fairies, especially on um, midsummer or summer solstice. But of course, all of this pagan, you could call folklore, was not really enjoyed by the church, by Christianity in general. And so there are some references in Christian time, in Christian belief to the elder tree. And one is that the cross that Christ was crucified on was made of elder wood, which couldn't be true of at least the North American elder. I hear that the European, the Sambucus nigra um, elder might have like more woodiness to it, but in, in reality, it doesn't seem like it would be that large or strong enough to actually be held. But even still, interesting that that is part of the folklore of that tradition. And that also Judas hung himself on an elder tree. It was also thought that if it was in you know as christian christianity took hold um it was thought that if it was planted near english cottages to grant protection against witches and evil influences as we've seen with many of these plants that were highly revered um, by these earth-centered traditions and beliefs and thought to be embodiments of nature spirits and then um, in Christianity times, it was very twisted and then became um, something that you could use against these people or people that were considered to be witches or protection from these nature forces. It was thought to be a holy wood and therefore um, feared by witches. So Juliet de Barclay Levy, who is a gypsy herbalist and um, definitely a I'd say even a great-grandmother of the herbal renaissance here in the United States. She definitely was the a mentor to many of our grandmothers of the herbalism renaissance in the U.S. Considered this uh, to be one of the greatest of all herbs, she said. And many cultures saw this plant as the nature's medicine chest um, and a tree of medicine. It was thought this because it was said that um, all parts were considered medicinally, medicinal, but you'd have to be wary again of the Hildemore because 
they might be medicinal, but they also are slightly, parts of them are slightly poisonous. So especially if once you start looking at a lot of the old herbal texts, you'll see the bark was medicinal and the leaves were medicinal and the root, again, I'd stay very far away from the root. And I think that that's one reason why they say you're not allowed to kill the elder or dig up an elder. Um, that's very bad luck is because once you start playing around with that root or, um, you know, that could possibly kill you. Um, the bark itself um, is a purgative and an emetic and a diuretic. So it basically makes you throw up. It could give you diarrhea. It could make you pee a lot. And so in these um, old time medicinal ways when very heroic ways of thinking of cleansing and purging was a key medicine because you wanted to whatever get out what was ever ailing you or whatever quote-unquote toxins were in you then that was seen as a very potent remedy um, but today the bark of the elder is not used or not recommended because who wants to go through that if you don't have to the leaves um, definitely are still useful externally. Internally, they still have that purgative um, can, and emetic, so they can make you poop or throw up um, because they have a, a chemical constituent in them that causes that. I'll, I'm going to talk about the poisonous chemistry of the plant at the end of this podcast because I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding and information out there about about it. But generally, the leaves are best worked with externally, although there might be some herbalists that disagree, but for safety's sake, the leaves can be um, soothing and healing to the skin. So for bruises, strains, wounds, chillbanes, um, even tumors, um, people would make either uh, ointments or oils or even just bruise the leaf and apply topically as a poultice. It's also known to have a not so nice smell, the leaves, once you bruise them. And that's that smell itself is a insect repellent. And um, so you can either apply that topically to uh, repel insects um, or even spray an infusion of the leaves on either your skin or on plants to repel aphids, caterpillars, mosquitoes, and gnats. I haven't tried that, um, but it sounds like an intriguing use, especially if you are an avid gardener that are have plants that are being attacked by aphids. So the flowers and the berries are really what is useful and most commonly worked with today in herbalism. And even so, the flowers seem to get the most page time in books in modern modern herbals. But the berries these days, I feel like, are the most common available on the market and the most part of the plant that people know and work with. I'm going to talk about the flowers first. Um, so the flowers can be worked with both internally and externally. And internally, 
They um, are a nervine relaxant, so very soothing and calming and maybe even slightly sedative, especially if you already are in a space where you need to sleep. And very useful for children who are restless or um, sick and feeling restless and just really needing to rest and sleep. It's uh, both a diaphoretic and a diuretic. So here's another one of those herbs where we have that same um, action. And usually when we're going to, when we really want to focus on a diaphoretic action, which is what kind of brings the heat to the surface of the body, opens the pores and allows us to sweat and then cool down and release our heat. Teas are hot teas are usually drunk and then you know you want to bundle up as well with blankets or whatnot to help to release that excess heat. We need to know that when we work with diaphoretics or most diaphoretics that it might raise the body temperature a little bit at first before cooling it down. And so if someone's already at like a really high fever, um, it's something you really have to be careful with if you don't want to push that fever a little higher before it breaks. Of course, I personally don't really think that we should mess with fevers unless they start getting dangerously high. I kind of like to just monitor fevers and trust in the body that the body knows what it's doing um, and just let it let it roll because it's our body body's number one best defense in preventing microbes, whether it's bacteria, viruses, from replicating because they can't replicate at temperatures over a hundred and some odd degrees. And so it's our way of body of like slowing down the replication so that the rest of the immune system can do its work. So I like to just monitor fevers and I notice that if I'm monitoring a fever, it doesn't, it's not like it always stays at one temperature. It usually is um, more of like a roller coaster of temperature where the body kind of moderates its own fever necessarily, although we don't obviously want it to get too high, like over, I think I caught when my, when my daughter was a baby, um, I definitely called um, an emergency doctor in the middle of the night when she had a super high well it was her fever was like 104 point something and he was like oh yeah I wouldn't worry you know that's not like dangerously high and I was like well what is dangerously high and he's like oh like 104.8 or something I was like okay (laughs) Um, or approaching 105 but it's different for different people so monitor, monitor, but babies can get very high fevers. Um, And so I just really like to use a damp, cool cloth is what I do for my daughter. And just kind of, if she's feeling really hot and irritated and agitated, she likes to just get wiped down with a cool cloth if if she feels hot with the fever. Okay, so, and then for a diuretic action, it would be more, um, usually a a cold tea is drunk to help you you know, uh, pee more if you, if that's what you need. Flowers also considered to be an alterative, especially in dealing with uh, lymph flow and the action of the lymph. So considered a lymphagogue. So supporting the immune system in both carrying the white blood cells around the body, but then also carrying the waste that's created by the immune system uh, to the proper areas where it needs to be eliminated anti-inflammatory and then uh, help to reduce mucus and uh, discutient 
which basically means um, dispersing. So it's if you have like a cyst or some sort of sebaceous cyst or a growth, a discutian herb is one that is often applied topically, but also can be taken internally and just helps that to kind of redisperse. Uh, emollient is very, so is very soothing to the skin. And then a sudorific, so, you know, um, a sedative, soothing. It's not, it's not like a strong sedative, but it definitely is, will help you sleep well. Um, and anodyne, which is a pain reliever. So those are some of the main actions of the elderflower. So I mentioned it supports the lymph. It's really beneficial for when people have colds and flus. It is antiviral and antibacterial. And I think of it as being gentle enough that it can be used with all ages. And I really value it for uh, working with my child when she's sick. It's especially helpful in fevers that have alternating heat and chills to it. Or when, like I said, if you're if especially a child has like restless because of the fever and just needs to kind of soothe and relax. And I like just to do a tea. And then as long as the child's over a year or two, then I'll add honey to that tea. And the tea already has like a really pleasant taste to it. It almost tastes like honey even before you add the honey to it. The elderflower is also an antihistamine, so it helps to relieve the um, itchy, watery eyes and the inflammation in the sinuses and the excess mucus production. And so for colds and flus, that's great. And then also for hay fever and other allergies. And some people would like to, you know, start making elderflower either tincture or um, tea as maybe a regular daily practice about a month leading up into your allergy season. So if you know you are allergic to ragweed, which is prime time, you know, August and September, at least here in Maine, then maybe July would be your elder tea month, elderflower tea month. And then it's generally a tonic for the mucous membranes in the head. So it can really strengthen um, by of making those mucous membranes more effective in their action, it can strengthen our resistance to infection and also help to reduce any sort of chronic congestion or inflammation in those areas. So any sort of hay fever, sinusitis, even tonsillitis, it can be useful as a gargle for sore throats. Um, ear congestion or ear infection that has a lot of uh, mucus or congestion involved with it that could also be beneficial against. And then moving down the respiratory from the upper into the lungs um, for excess bronchial congestion, it can help clear the congestion up and out of the lungs, relieve chest infections, even be helpful for people with asthma and just allow deeper and easier breathing. Uh, it's very soothing, but it also has some tannins, so it can be really helpful for uh, eye health, whether if you have conjunctivitis, pink eye, sore, tired eyes, such things, bloodshot eyes or sunburned eyes, you can apply the wash or a compress, which would be like a wash rag that is soaked in the cool tea and apply that topically. To the eye, you know, you close your eyes and put that over your eyes, eyelids. 
Um, also drinking internally for eye ailments that are connected with nerve damage or shock. There's an old gypsy saying that, again, this was from Juliet de Barclay Levy, that basically, you know, elder was seen as a cure-all can help all ailments of people and restore sight to the blind is what they would say. Internally can reduce inflammation um, and modulate our inflammatory response, uh, especially it with uh, arthritis, rheumatism, and gout, and especially such things that are irritated by damp, cold weather conditions. Uh, and again, it's very soothing and calming to the nerves, could ease anxiety and lift depression. And then topically also can cool and soften skin or like clear, like a hot, irritating, inflammatory skin condition. So if you have eczema that's like really hot and red and inflammatory and probably like the drier eczema could like kind of help cool and soothe any sort of ulcers, burns, cuts, wounds, sunburns, irritable skin, itching, all that just, you know, elder can cool and soothe. People would often uh, make, a, you could do that with like the infusion where you apply a wash or a rinse or a spray, or it's, um, you could infuse it in oil and then make lotions or ointments with it. And then you can also find uh, elderflower hydrosols out on the market, which make a nice skin toner and is thought to, you know, lighten freckles or liver spots on the skin or age spots. Uh, mouthwash, you can make a mouthwash, which would, could either be the tincture or the tea for any sort of mouth ulcers or inflamed gums. And then I would say some really common, like a classical thing that people like to make is like a flour pancake or fritter. And then I guess in Germany, the oil that that's fried in uh, is used for stubborn ear infections and wounds. So you can uh, dry the flowers or you can cook them, uh, but you don't want to consume them raw because they could have a uh, purgative or emetic effect. Cooking the flowers denatures the chemical constituent in them that causes people to feel nauseous or throw up or have diarrhea. Also, turning it into alcohol will denature that. So uh, a lot of people like to make elder flower champagne and there's or elderflower cordials. Elderflower tincture made from the fresh elderflower also doesn't seem to have that emetic effect either. And some people uh, burn the blossoms for sacred ceremony or in a smoking blend. I very recently had the calling to work with elderflower for my daughter. So she, you know, in her second week of school, she came home with a flu with a fever. And again, I just let the fever ride and uh, it was maybe a 24 hour, 36 hour kind of fever. And we got her COVID tested and she was negative and she went back to school um, 24 hours after her fever had passed because she was back to normal. But then she started getting a congested runny kind of nose, you know, which often happens. We have some sort of a flu virus and then our 
immune system so busy working on that that then we can get a rhinovirus that follows it or some sort of head cold that can follow. And she was getting really irritated with having this runny, sniffly nose. It wasn't necessarily running out of her nose, but it was just kind of congested sinuses and she was having a hard time sleeping. So this was just a few days ago and I um, brewed up a elderflower tea. So I had dried elderflowers and I put them in a teapot that probably held about a pint of water. And I put roughly four tablespoons of the elderflowers in there. Again, I didn't even measure. I just kind of poured the elderflowers in. I was like, okay, that's about one tablespoon, two tablespoons as I was pouring it, just kind of eyeballing it. And then I let that steep maybe for 20 minutes or so um, in the morning before she went to school. And then I put it in her water bottle that she takes to school. I just filled her water bottle with the elderflower tea and I put honey in it um, and some ice cubes so it wouldn't be hot. And I had her sip it to make sure she would like it and she would drink it throughout the day. And I said, okay, drink this whole water bottle today. So hopefully your stuffy nose will go away. And she was very compliant, which was great because she did like the flavor of it. And she drank the whole thing. And that was about half of the pint of tea that I had made. And so in the afternoon, um, she actually asked me for more tea specifically. So that was great. And I, the tea had been steeping all day at that point. And so then I just poured the rest into her water bottle without any honey at that point. And I tasted it and it tasted fine. It didn't taste too intense or anything. And I had her drink that all afternoon and she went to bed with that next to her bed. So that was one pint over 24 hours. And then the next day she asked for to take the tea to school again because she still had a little bit of a stuffy nose. And by the time she came home, that was yesterday by the time she came home yesterday um, her stuffy nose was totally gone and she had no complaints and slept through the night was fine this morning she asked for (laughs) she wanted me to put make more tea for her but I said you know you you seem like your stuffiness is gone and you know I'm just going to put water in it for today and see how it goes so I felt like that was very successful because Oftentimes, you know, they'll get the stuffy nose and then the stuffy nose will turn into postnasal drip and will turn into a cough and a chest infection and it just will last for a week or longer. And then you're also trying to deal with a, a cough too. So this kind of nipped it in the bud, I feel like, which was great. And then when she did have her fever, um, I had and was sick what I was feeding her with smoothies and in the smoothies I had put you know yogurt and blueberries and I put some elderberry syrup in her smoothie because she doesn't really like the taste of elderberry syrup so I put it in her smoothie and also some astragalus powder and some echinacea leaf tea and she was drinking the smoothie basically it was like the only th- food that she really wanted so I feel like that also was very helpful in that situation. Meanwhile, for myself, I um, was starting to feel like a little bit of a sore throat and I was like, okay, now I'm getting whatever wonderfulness she brought home from school. And so for myself, I immediately started on the elderberry syrup, which I um, 
basically had a bottle of a four ounce bottle and I just sipped it whenever I thought of it um, or whenever my th- I noticed that my throat was irritated for until it was gone. And then I moved on to Echinacea tincture, which I just sipped off the bottle. I also had a four ounce bottle of that. It was an old bottle that I had of purpurea root tincture that I had made. And so I sipped on that. And then when that was gone, I moved on to yarrow tincture, which I just sipped. I probably went through about an ounce of the yarrow tincture, again, sipping on it, especially before I went to bed and when I woke up in the morning. And after two days, my sore throat was totally gone and I never had any other symptoms of the whatever it was that she had. So we got through it and herbs helped us. And we're going to talk about elderberries in a moment. I'll be right back. to elderberries. So elderberries, most commonly known to be antiviral right now these days, which is great. And it has, um, I think it probably has multiple actions in how it's antiviral. Um, And it's also immune modulating. But one of the ways that I know that it's antiviral or that I learned a while ago is that it has the ability, there's a chemical constituent in the elderberries that can um, knock off the protein on the virus that the virus uses to get into the cell to replicate. So it stops the viral replication. I've also heard people say that it basically blocks the cell so that viruses can't get into the cell to replicate in some way, or like it puts like a protective coating around the cell, if you could imagine that, to prevent the virus from actually getting into the cell to replicate. And so in doing so, it can really reduce um, the time of an influenza virus specifically. It's also been shown to uh, reduce the herpes outbreak viruses. And it can be used um, before, like if you feel like you might have been exposed, you can to a virus, you can start um, taking elderberry in any one of its preparations um, to help prevent the virus from really taking hold. Or if you feel like it's already taken hold, then you want to really start working with the elderberry to keep it from getting too strong of a hold and to reducing the amount of time that you're dealing with it. The berries are also both diuretic and diaphoretic, as we talked about with the elderflower. And They can modulate inflammation or inflammatory response. They're also antioxidant. Um, So they have flavonoids in them that really help with our eye health and our capillaries. And the flavonoids are also thought to help block the virus action. It has the antioxidants, which is that blue color, the anthocyanin, which can help prevent 
uric acid buildup, such as gout, um, but is also very helpful for our heart and our blood vessels and blood pressure. Uh, the berries have pectin in them, which can help reduce diarrhea. Um, so the pectin is, you know, it's in a lot of fruits. It's in apples, it's in hawthorn berries. And sometimes if you have a elderberry syrup that you made that has been sitting in the fridge for a while with honey and you pour it out and it's like glop, 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 and it's all this like gloppy stuff comes out. It's like, oh, is that okay? It's it's likely just the pectin, either that or it's the honey that's like cold honey that's kind of solidified again, or the combination of the two. Um, also contains vitamin A and vitamin C. The seeds in the berries have a poison in them that have a, both a, cause the laxative and cause you to throw up. And that's the same constituent that gets that's in the leaves and the bark. And I'll talk about that in more detail in a little bit. But let's talk about the benefits first. So antiviral, antibacterial, flus, colds help to reduce a fever. So what happened was that was scientifically proven to be anti-flu by doctoral work of an Algerian-born Israeli woman named Madeline Mumkuoglu. I'm sorry for that pronunciation. Um, in the early 1980s, she did her dissertation for her PhD in virology, and she found two chemicals that prevent the flu virus from invading uh, cells. These chemicals, you prevent the infection by stopping the virus from invading the cells, which is the only way that the virus can reproduce. You prevent the infection or prevent the uh, for infection from continuing on. And she developed an elderberry syrup that was patented as Sambucol, which is still available today in stores. And it's probably the most popular elderberry syrup on the market. And then, uh, so that was in the 80s. And then in 1992, there was a flu outbreak among her at her university, I guess. And half of the residents were given four tablespoons of the Sambucol a day at the first sign of a fever, and then others took Tylenol and other cold remedies. And then after three days, 90% of the Sambucol group felt well again, and the other group took about six days. And so based on that, uh, the Sambucol quickly became popular in Israel and other countries, including the U.S., and then I know that when I was working in the natural pharmacy in between 2000 and 2003, Sambucol was one of our best sellers in the winter time. And I haven't really been involved in the herbal marketplace since then, but I'm sure it's still quite popular. Elderberry is also great for uh, people that are dealing with sore throats and coughs. Um, it can help promote healthy mucus secretions in the body, um, can help clear the clogged ears, uh, beneficial for people with tonsillitis, and it can help uh, with nerve pain and people who have neuralgia and sciatica can help ease those pains. It's also interestingly has been shown to be used internally and externally for people who have malignant skin growths. And elderberries have also been put in dream pillows to relieve insomnia, which is interesting. I'd almost think that the elder flowers would be more useful for that. Of course, then maybe you'd be taken away to fairyland. Uh, 
Uh, again, it helps to strengthen your eyes, similar to blueberries, how blueberries strengthen the eyes with all those dark blue color antioxidants. Okay, so I have made lots of different types of remedies with elderberries. Usually with the elderflowers, I'll either, you know, tincture the elderflowers fresh, or I will dry the elderflowers and have them on hand for teas as needed. The berries, if I am able to find some fresh uh, that the birds haven't already completely eaten, then I will harvest them fresh and make a tincture with them. So I'll fill a jar with the fresh berries, and then I'll fill that jar with 100 proof vodka and let it sit until I need it, basically. I had some sitting for multiple years, and it was delicious. Very sweet, uh, very fruity, really, really tasty. And I did not have any... um, you know, side effects from feeling like I had to throw up or anything like that. Because again, that poison is in the seed of the berry. So as long as you're not grinding or opening the seed and you're dealing with the berries, then you're probably okay. Some people's sensitivity is more so than others. And again, I'll talk about that at the end of this podcast. So Yes, I have made tinctures with fresh berries. I've also made tinctures with dried berries. So I'll just buy dried berries, like I'll buy a pound of them from Frontier Co-op or Mountain Rose or whoever else. And I will fill about a third of the jar, no more than half of a jar with the dried elderberries. And then I'll fill the jar to the top with the 100 proof vodka. And those berries will absorb absorb, absorb all that vodka and will look like they're now filling the jar. So you don't want to put too many berries in or they'll fill the jar so much that the jar will break. So just a third or a half full of the jar with the dried elderberries and then full to the top with 100 proof vodka. And then I let that sit for again, like you could even let it sit for up for up to a year. Um, or just whenever you're ready to use it and then strain it out and it works great. I'll get into how I do the dosing. It's pretty much the same with all of the remedies that I use. I mean, I think the whole premise, especially with the elderberries, is you know you either think that you've had contact with a virus or you have a virus and so it's frequency is the best. It's not it's not about how much, but how frequently you can get it into your body. So where you're either putting the elderberry preparation in your water bottle and sipping on it all day long, um, or, you know, having the bottle of tincture or syrup or whatever out and visible, and you're just like taking sips every hour of it is how I like to work with it. Um, so the tincture, we did that and then just strain it when you're ready to, to, when you feel sick and you're ready to use it. The syrup, um, there's probably 101,000 recipes on YouTube or online for how to make a elderberry syrup because it's so common. But basically you take your either dried or fresh berries and you cook them down, simmer them down with water. Um, until you make a really strong decoction tea. And there's all kinds of ratios and remedy, um, you know, 
specific recipes if you want, but the idea is basically make a really strong tea. So it's really dark purple and it's you've gotten all that goodness as much as you can cooked out of those berries into water. And then you take equal parts honey and water and you put them together and that's your syrup. And you put it in the fridge. You could also, if you want to get fancy, you could infuse your honey also with elderberries. So you're not diluting your medicine with just plain honey. So you could have an elderberry honey that you've infused either with fresh elderberries or you've warmed the honey with the dried elderberries or you're making your syrup with your elderberries, you know, you're cooking down your decoction and then you could add the honey and kind of let it stay warm. You don't want to like really cook it a lot, but you can like let it stay warm with the berries in there. So the honey might get some of that extraction before you strain it, but you want to keep it warm to strain it so that, you know, your honey doesn't solidify, obviously. So just play around with it. You're basically just making a really super, super sweet decoction, water-based extract of the elderberries. And then what I like to do is after I have made my elderberry syrup with the dried elderberries, I will strain it out and I'll squeeze out the berries as much as I can to get all the decoction or syrup out of them. And then I'll take those berries and I'll put them in a jar and I will cover them in uh, vinegar, apple cider vinegar and honey. And I'll make an oxymel with those berries and it's going to extract even more from those berries because there's, there's still going to be a lot of goodness left in them. And then I'll just let that sit for a while. Now the key with uh, like for a while being, well, even it could be up for a couple years if I it just until I'm ready and I need it, but it's on the shelf. It's shelf stable, especially if you pasteurize your apple cider vinegar first, which means you want to bring that vinegar up to a boil and then bring it back down to room temperature. You can even, you know, put it with the berries when it's still a little warm um, and the, and some honey just so it all kind of melds well. So an oxymel is an herbal preparation that's made with vinegar and honey. Oxy being the vinegar and mel being the honey. And it's great if you infuse herbs into that. So I don't, a lot of people in their elderberry syrups will put clove and cinnamon and uh, ginger or whatever, some sort of warming spices I personally don't like to do that. I just like to have plain elderberry. And then if you want, you can, you know, add it to a cinnamon tea if you wanted to sweeten your tea or whatever. But I think it just tastes best plain, just with the honey. You can also make elderberry jams or jellies. Just, I think jelly is maybe better because then you don't get all the seeds. Um, but you're cooking it down anyway, so I guess supposedly when you cook it down, even the seeds included, um, you aren't, if, especially if you cook it for a while, you it'll denature that emetic poison that's in the seeds. And I've made um, elderberry crisp or an elderberry pie, which is really great, especially if you mix it in with some peaches. You don't need it to be all elderberries. 
But if you do like an elderberry peach crisp, and that's when I really like adding a little bit of clove and cinnamon and ginger, and that is just delicious. And again, you're cooking it and then you're baking it. Um, if you are making your elderberry syrup with fresh berries, and then after you strain it out, you can then take those the remnant fresh berries and then add that to your crisp to your other fruit and bake it as a crisp. So just get some elderberries, play around with it, have fun in the kitchen, um, and then and then eat or drink your elderberries when you when it's winter time or you're afraid of getting sick or if you if COVID is around or whatever. Um, okay. So cautions, I said, definitely stay away from the root, especially of the canadensis species, which is our native North American species that grows wild. The seeds can cause nausea and vomiting unless they are cooked for a long time. Drying the berries and the seeds does not count, it seems, especially um, for sensitive people. So some people are more sensitive than other others. So especially I've heard of many people um, taking dried berries and, you know, maybe you make an infusion. So you have your elderberry tea and then you have these rehydrated berries and you're like, oh, I'll just put them in my smoothie. Um, so I'll put these like, so you blend up in your smoothie grinder or blender your elderberries with they have the seeds in them and they're only dried they're not cooked and then you have you know whatever your yogurt and a little bit of juice or tea and then you drink a whole pint glass or a quart of that smoothie you're probably not going to feel so good afterwards so that's like too much um, I have had a friend that did that, and she said that she, you know, was basically throwing up and very sick for a day or two after that. This can also happen from the powdered form of the berries. So if you are, because um, they've only been dehydrated and then they've been ground and into a powder, you're definitely going to be grinding those seeds. I mean, the seeds are super tiny, so they're going to be hard to break up and they're hard for our body to you know break it up they probably just go right through our body but if we're agitating them or breaking them up in some other way or exposing them um so capsules or putting um elderberry powder in smoothies might also cause some nausea and vomiting the leaves are purgative um could cause you to throw up or have diarrhea and the bark definitely as well. So Michael Moore has this great quote or poem that he came up with in his book, uh, Medicinal Plants of the Mountain West. And he says, flowers, berries, and leaf will never bring you to grief. Bark and root for teas will bring you to your knees. So some herbalists take the leaves internally. I, I tend to shy away from that. Well, you'll hear people out there saying, but elderberries contain cyanide and you have to cook them to denature the cyanide or you're going to poison yourself and die. Um, I have had people respond to some Instagram posts that I've done in the past about that. And so the reality is that elderberries 
and it's mostly the leaves actually and the um the bark contain but the berries but especially the unripe green berries contain cyanogenic glycosides specifically in the elderberry the cyanogenic glycoside is sambunigrin and that glycoside could potentially be changed into cyanide but it's mostly done in um, animals with rumens so in the book um, herbal constituents foundations of phytochemistry by lisa gonora if you are a chemistry nerd or if you really want to dive deep into plant chemistry this is uh, the book for you. It is really intense, but she does have a short section on these cyanogenic glycosides in which she says, and this should clear up the whole thing. So these bitter compounds release the highly toxic hydrocyanic acid, synonyms HCN or prusic acid, when they're broken down by glucosidase enzymes present in plants. In humans, the toxicity of cyanogenic glycosides is limited by slow and incomplete absorption from the plant material. The acidic environment of the stomach has suboptimal pH conditions for the hydrocyanic acid liberation, which means um, the pH of our stomach makes it hard for the cyanide to be liberated and to be available um, from the seed. So in addition, we are able to detoxify about one milligram of the HCN, which is the cyanide per hour. And it's a normal waste product of protein catabolism. As a result, ingestion of reasonable amounts of herbs or foods containing low levels of cyanogenic glycosides poses no threat to health. Okay, and then it says, cattle are more sensitive to cyanogenic glycosides because of the relatively neutral pH of the ruminant digestive tract favors the release of HCN from the plant material. They can also ingest relatively large quantities of the compounds over a short period of time. In the old days, when people used to free-range livestock in the Appalachian Mountains, the cattle or horses would occasionally eat enough wilted wild cherry leaves to poison themselves, sometimes fatally, because wilting releases the HCN as well in the leaves. So because of this, veterinary toxicology has red-flagged plants high in cyanogenic glycosides such as wild cherries, leaves, and fruit pits, and elderberries, leaves, and stems. And so from that, um, you know, it just becomes one of these urban legends that takes hold and turns into elderberries have cyanide and will kill you. Okay, so not, not really. Okay. So that's the cyanide story of the elderberry. And then the other uh, poisonous chem chemical that's found in the elderberry is called sambucine, uh, which a C-I-N-E is the end of it. And this is found in more in the American species versus the European species, which I think is some reason why when we look at a lot of the old written herbals that were written 
uh, and based on European herbals and herbalists, um, there was more use of the barks and the leaves and the roots than in the American, because the American shrub is going to have more of these poisons than the European. So the Sambucine is a nauseating alkaloid that's found mostly in the bark, the root, the seeds, and especially when the plant is fresh, like the fresh leaves. So again, we're not going to be ingesting the bark, the root, and the leaves. And the seeds, if you cook them down first, or if you make a preparation where you're straining the seeds out, then you really don't have to worry about it. Like, for example, the tincture made from the fresh berries. So I hope that this allays some issues. The whole other thing, contraindication that people were scared of, unbiased fears around the elderberry at the start of COVID was it was being said that it might have the potential of causing a cytokine storm, which is an extreme inflammatory immune response that can then attack your body and kill you. Um, And so again, this comes from the premise that when we start seeing herbs as drugs and we start seeing herbs as like having a specific direct and very potent action on the body and well if it's an immune booster then it must be able to boost our immune system to an unhealthy cytokine storm level right but the reality is no it's more of an immune modulator it's a fruit it's a berry um, it's not a drug and it doesn't, the herbs just don't work like that, right? So it's all when we start thinking hypothetically about herbs, or we start looking at like one herbal constituent, one chemical constituent and saying, basing, and then saying the whole herb has that one action that the chemical constituent has. We've lost sight of what herbalism really is. Elderberry is a food and it is a very valuable food and it's a food that you don't need to eat in mass amounts right we don't really eat berries in huge amounts they're small it would be hard to eat them in huge amounts so we eat them in moderate amounts and they have uh, moderate effects on our body but they can be very useful especially when we prepare them in certain beneficial ways So I hope that this has been a valuable episode for you. I um, am so grateful for all of my listeners, all of you out there listening and paying attention to this podcast and sharing it with your friends. And it's been really fun to see the increase in the numbers of people listening. And I want to do a special thank you to the people who have written a review on iTunes um, podcasts for taking the the little extra time. So all the way back in April, Flower Power 919 was my first reviewer, and I am so grateful for you. Thank you. Um, Iowa Herbalist back in June, thank you so much. Vital Body Wellness has been a great supporter. Both uh, thank you for writing a review and for connecting with me through Instagram. It's been great connecting with you and I'm grateful for your review. 
Oh boy, this is a review from, um, it's a bunch of letters that I can't, that there's no way I could say that word. I think there's only like three vowels among a whole bunch of letters, but thank you. You said highly informative and relaxed discussion of herbal remedies back in July. I am so grateful. Thanks for listening. A review on the Menarda podcast from the Des Plains Grower. Thank you so much back in July. Namaste, Natalie. Thank you for your pod for your podcast review. I am so grateful for that. Eleanor 0505. Love the podcast. Thank you so much. And you said, and the theme music, what song is that? And who is the artist? And honestly, I got the theme music. It's called Chill Reggae One. <laughs> and it's from just a website that you can buy, you know, little uh, copyright free music for such things as podcasts or videos or whatnot. I don't know who the artist is off the top of my head, but um, I, I enjoy the beat and I'm, I'm a fan of reggae music. So I thought it would be fun. Um, and I've, I have been a fan of reggae music for a long time. And then um, the most recent review, so grateful to you, World Peace 19. What a great review. I'm so grateful. Thank you. It, you know, your review really made me be like, oh, man, I really got to do a shout out to all you folks who are taking the time to give me feedback and write reviews. Um, it keeps me going and keeps me inspired to keep putting uh, the information out there. It's nice to know that it's landing on some ears and people are finding value in it. I appreciate you. And if you appreciate me too, I love a five star rating and a short review would be great. I totally value your feedback. And definitely subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find me, Bridget, um, you can find me as Soledago Herb School, both on Instagram, Facebook, and on my website. You can also sign up for an informational and inspirational free newsletter um, that I will probably get back to writing um, once the gardening season slows down just a little bit more. We're almost there. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and most importantly, have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube